Welcome. It's so nice to have you. And we have another great episode for you this week. Mecca Santana is an expert in diversity and inclusion and has seen both move from when they were done in a reactive way to now a proactive way by organizations. Find out how being proactive in diversity and inclusion benefits your business. And a quick note for you, just like the podcast over the last few weeks, this podcast was recorded last October during the Athena International Conference. There are some audio hits on this because my Skype at that time was acting up, but It is all arable like it has been over the last few weeks, and I know you're going to enjoy it. Believe it or not, we have reached episode number 90, and we're starting right now. Welcome to Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International, the podcast that tells you the story of how women are impacting business one guest at a time. Now here's your host, Jeff Bolitnikoff, with another successful woman and her unique business journey. Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International. I'm Jeff Blitnikoff, and I am with Mecca Santana, and she's the Senior Vice President of Diversity, Inclusion, and Community Engagement for Westchester Medical Center Health Network, and she is responsible for building and leveraging relationships with external stakeholders while also ensuring that all internal organizational policies and procedures are aligned with diversity and inclusion best practices. And Mecca, I want to bring you into the conversation now because there's a lot there and I think it bears a lot of explaining. So I'd love to hear A, what you do and then B, what brought you to this place that you're at right now. So Mecca, thank you so much for your time and welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here, thrilled to share a little bit about my journey and the work that I do. I think the work that I do is important, especially now. And so I'm I'm definitely happy to share with you this morning. So essentially in my current role, I wear two hats. The first is that I oversee all diversity and inclusion, internal uh, policymaking and procedures, which means for a healthcare organization, making sure that we are responsive to the needs of our diverse patient population, making sure that we are responsive to the needs of our diverse uh, community members who went to hospitals. So that has to do with a lot of policymaking, has to do with how we engage our workforce members around issues of diversity, making sure that people feel respected, included, engaged, and activated around the work that they do. So much of healthcare and healthcare transformation has become very patient-centric, which means in order to appropriately treat every patient, we need to know and respect and value that patient's race, religion, sexual orientation, cultural norms and beliefs. And the fact that we're able to understand that allows us to render and offer uh, better care and ultimately ensure better outcomes. So that's the first hat that I wear. The second hat is all about community engagement. And again, so much of healthcare transformation nowadays conceptually has just as much or if not more to do with what happens outside of the four walls of a hospital than what happens inside the four walls. So while we can offer the best clinical care to our patients, the reality is the other social determinants of health that impact them, like whether they have safe housing, whether they're in a safe or abusive relationship, what kind of educational supports are available, whether or not they are gainfully employed. All of those social determinants have just as much of an impact on someone's overall physical health 
health and well-being. And so nowadays, hospitals have to be so much more than just a hospital. We need to really engage community-based organizations. We need to engage community stakeholders like faith-based organizations, colleges, community-based organizations, organizations that deal with food insecurity. We need to really engage them in partnership so that we can really make sure that we are doing all that we can to ensure the health and vitality of the communities that we're all serving at the same time. And so that's the work that I do. I've been doing this work now for over four and a half years. And I have to tell you, it was an interesting transition for me uh, because I was absolutely new to the healthcare realm. This was not at all my background. By uh, I'm an attorney by trade. I began my career as a criminal prosecutor. I was an assistant district attorney in the Manhattan DA's office. And while I was there, I did everything from violent crimes in the trial division to sex crimes and domestic violence. I was a child abuse prosecutor and even did white collar crimes for some time. And I did that work and, and then went on to the New York State Commission of Investigation, where I helped oversee large scale investigation of municipal corruption and really love the work I was doing there, love the idea of having a broad-based impact and planned on staying, interestingly enough, in the law enforcement criminal justice realm until I, I took a shift and a hard left and took over the civil rights office for the New York City Department of Education. And it was really in doing that work that I began to move into the diversity space, primarily because in that role, I was uh, overseeing an office that was responsive to complaints of wrong doing, responsive to complaints of discrimination and sexual harassment, both of students and of uh, employees. And at some point, I really began to say to myself, instead of always being responsive to the wrongdoing, how can we go about creating environments and putting policies and procedures in place that help to ensure that these types of situations don't develop in the first place? And so instead of being purely reactive, how can we be proactive with regard to the environments we're creating in the workplace? And as a result of that, I went on to Cornell and got my certifications in diversity management and equal employment opportunity and really moved into the policymaking diversity and inclusion realm and did that work for New York City for many years and really built up a reputation uh, down there, so much so that I was eventually appointed by Governor Andrew Cuomo uh, as New York State's Chief Diversity Officer. And I got to take the work that I was doing, the work I was passionate about, and really do it statewide, looking at issues of diversity in our state workforce, helping to support the growth and proliferation of minority and women-owned businesses because economic equity is a crucial factor and increasing opportunities for people who have been disenfranchised is something that the governor made one of his top priorities in his administration, and I really enjoyed being a part of that. And so it was all of this work, this very uh, nonlinear professional journey that I've been on that ultimately brought me to the hospital here doing work focusing on diversity, inclusion, and community engagement. And it's an interesting thing because people who knew me almost 20 years ago say, how did you go from starting out as a lawyer and then a criminal justice field to ultimately being a diversity kind of expert and practitioner. And what I say is that the work, whether it's in 
criminal justice or education or government or health care, the realm can change, but the underlying passion that I've always had hasn't. I like being an advocate. I am passionate about advocacy and fighting the good fight for people who need it most. I'm passionate about making sure we're ensuring opportunities and access and equity for everyone. Those are the things that I'm passionate about, and I can do that work across many realms, and I have done that work across many realms, and I've managed to be successful in each one of them. And so I'm just happy to be able to do this work in a new space where the issue is just as important. The issue of health care and access to quality health care is just as important for so many people in so many communities. And so I'm blessed to, to continue this journey here at uh, WMC Health, where this organization really embraces and supports the idea of being more than just a hospital. Well, it's safe to say that in the areas of diversity and inclusion, you are an expert. And on this podcast, we have a lot of C-level executives listening, business owners, entrepreneurs, etc. And I'm sure that as you've traveled through your career in diversity and inclusion, you've probably seen some, maybe some confusion around the subject. So maybe you could address the folks listening right now that may or may not be having their own struggles in those areas trying to get better at it and what would you tell them what are some action steps that they could take and what do they what are you what are you finding that people don't know that they should know Sure. And that's a perfect way to summarize kind of the struggle that many organizations have. So I like to say that the diversity space has evolved over time. Many organizations, when they first started getting into diversity work per se, and I'm using the air quotes, really did so because they were mandated to do so. They did so because it was a must do because we were worried about litigation or being sued. And so it was compliance driven. And so that's the posture that many organizations took. They didn't really embrace it. They didn't really value it, but they they understood it was something they needed to do. The work then evolved into this kind of altruistic conversation about diversity with the idea that diversity is the right thing to do. It, it makes people feel good and it's great for the organization and we're all going to get together and tolerate diversity. That was some of the language that people used. And while that was well intended, it really didn't do much to move the needle because whether it's the right thing to do or not depends on who's sitting in the CEO or the leadership seat. If they believe it's the right thing, then it's something that gets embraced. But that wasn't a business reason for organizations to value diversity. And so the evolved conversation around diversity um, and even inclusion, which I'll get to in a moment, but the evolved conversation around diversity is looking at diversity as something that is not altruistic, looking at it as something that's aligned with the business mission, vision, goals, something that's aligned with the overall strategic priorities for an organization, looking at how the valuing of diversity will help drive your bottom line. It will help you if you're an organization that sells a product. It will help you sell more products. If you're an organization that serves a certain constituency group, it will help you better engage that constituency group. If you're an organization like we are, a healthcare organization, it will help us really build trust with our patients. And we know that in building trust with patients, they're more likely to be compliant with treatment plans and ultimately help ensure better outcomes for our patient population. So I wed and, and evolved diversity conversations wed the policies, practices, procedures around diversity implementation in an organization with the overall business objective. Diversity and inclusion is a business imperative. And that moves to the conversation even around what the distinction between diversity and inclusion are. They are not the same thing. And oftentimes you'll hear them spoken about as if they are one and the same. Understand diversity is a metric. It's an important metric, but it's a metric. It's the idea of bringing diverse people with diverse backgrounds, perspectives, intellectual 
intellectual abilities, geographical history, bringing all of them into the mix. However, the inclusion is how you engage, how you trigger, how you value, how you make sure that voices are heard. That's the inclusive nature of uh, an organization creating an inclusive environment where everyone maximizes their contribution to the organization because you can have a diverse organization and still not have an inclusive organization where the workforce is appropriately engaged. And so valuing diversity means really creating those inclusive environments. And I think organizations have to be willing to, in this new evolved conversation, first of all, educate themselves about things like the unconscious bias that is still so pervasive. So much of what we see is less about the overt discrimination that existed to exclude people, but is really about more of the covert unconscious bias, which has the same detrimental effect on certain segments of our population. And so organizations have to be willing to have candid conversations that might make people uncomfortable. But it's in this discomfort that we have growth. It's in this discomfort that we have revelations about how people really feel, and they're able to share that and be transparent about how they feel about organizations and about what may be holding them back from maximizing their potential and fully contributing while at work. So there has to be courage in this conversation. We have to have a dialogue that's productive. And again, always tied to, at the end of the day, how does this work? How does this evolve conversation? How does the embracing and valuing of diversity inclusion help us be an organization that is more efficient, more effective? How is it going to help us be the employer of choice, the community partner of choice, the consumer's choice, whatever it is, depending on what your industry and organization focuses on, that's the new measure of conversation that leaders have to be willing to have. And and this work really runs top down, bottom up. I'm fortunate to work in an organization where our board and our members of senior leadership, our CEO or CFO, chief administrative officer, have been extremely supportive of this work and understood as they were bringing me in, because at this level, bringing me in as a senior leader sends a resounding message as well about how much they value this work. So I think having dedicated people who have the heft within an organization to really help steward the work, but ultimately ensuring that the accountability for making sure this work is supported is borne by the entire senior leadership, and that trickles down to the staff um, through all the ranks of the organization. Well, let's roll into our last few questions here, and I think this is a perfect segue to you talking about resources that people should plug into, not only resources for diversity and inclusion, but also resources that you might find personally inspiring. Sure. So I am a big fan of podcasts. I'm a big fan of uh, Brene Brown. If uh, you've had an opportunity to hear some of what she, either the books or some of her uh, videos, they're, they're extremely both inspirational and aspirational in nature. I think anyone, whether you're a senior leader like myself or someone who's an emerging leader or someone who just wants to make a contribution, both personally and professionally, I think the importance of investing in you, the importance of investing in your own intellectual capacity, the importance of investing in your own cultural intelligence around these issues is critically important to take the time out to listen to phenomenal speakers who talk about practicing authenticity like a Carla Harris, who was the keynote speaker yesterday at the Athena conference, to understand what she's saying when she talks about bringing leadership to the practice of authenticity and how that will help you be a stronger, better leader. It's important to take the time to invest in, again, a Brene Brown. 
Brown or other self-help books that really focus on your professional development. It's important to seek out opportunities. There are professional networking opportunities where you can meet and engage other leaders from diverse industries, and it helps really grow your own personal and professional cachet. I, I think so much of that, and I wish I had done it earlier in my career, becomes critically important for those of us who see themselves as really having, again, a, a valuable contribution to make. So your investment in your success, not just taking a passive role and waiting for life to kind of happen or waiting for someone to recognize you and recognize your talents, I think really does a disservice to all that you have to offer. I think for being aggressive, being assertive, being someone who's willing to stand up and speak out and be noticed, if you do feel like your voice is valuable and you have that contribution to make, then it's worth you fighting for your own journey and fighting for your own success. And I'm a very big advocate when it comes to that. We have to be our own biggest and best cheerleaders sometimes and be unapologetic about that. All right. I like to start with the guest and then end with the guest. So I give you the mic at the beginning and then give you back the microphone at the end. So Mecca Santana, I would like to hand the microphone over to you. The floor is yours. You to tell the podcast listeners anything you would like as we close out this podcast. Oh, (laughs) there's so much. No, no, I really, I really appreciate this opportunity, especially in the context of the Athena Conference, which is just a phenomenal opportunity to speak about empowerment, to provide, uh, in this case, targeted towards female leaders, but really all emerging leaders can benefit from some of the conversations that are evolving. And it's a new way of looking at work because, again, we're talking about mostly the professional context. It's a new way of looking at work and looking at valuing those who come to work with a contribution to make. And unless we're able to trigger, unless we're able to activate, unless we're able to key in on that person's passion, purpose, figure out what their plan is for their own professional trajectory, unless we're able to do that, we're really doing a disservice to our workforce and then ultimately doing a disservice to, again, our constituents who are going to be interacting with our workforce. If we are in our industry, in my case, healthcare, we are in this industry to help people, and and most industries are in it to help people in some form or fashion, to be in service and of service to others, then we have to be willing to evolve in our thinking about what the workplace is and what the human capital, our workforce is. And that's the work that I've really dedicated my life to. I've been able to create work environments that I would want to come to work in and understanding the critical importance that the fact that we spend so much of our time in the workplace, I think it's a, it's a phenomenal opportunity for those of us who have the ability to make it a productive place, a place that's engaging, a place that's rewarding and personally and professionally fulfilling. It's something that we can all do if we work together and reframe, reshape our thinking about work. And so I'm happy to be a, a part of that work um, from the diversity, inclusion and engagement aspect. And I'm happy to have forums like this where I have an opportunity to share with others about the work that I do and the work that I'm passionate about. Well, Mecca Santana, Senior Vice President of Diversity, Inclusion, and Community Engagement for Westchester Medical Center Health Network. Thank you so much for your time. I know it's a very busy time for you with the conference and all the other things that you have going on. So for you to spend some time with us, very much appreciated. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. On the next episode of Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International, we have Maria McCool. She's known as the hair queen of QVC, and she's the founder and CEO of Callista. And she knew early on that she must follow a different path and that it wasn't a traditional one. 
Are you feeling the same? You must listen to this podcast then. Here's a little bit from Maria. They brought me in the office and my parents just said, listen, we'd love for her to go to college, but we're telling you this is what she loves to do. She does it all the time. And it's just think this is what she wants. So we don't want to hold that back. Are you interested in becoming a guest? Check out our Being a Guest page at womenreallymeanbusiness.com. All levels of business accepted. We love a wide range of stories.